Well, it's good to see everybody here today that is with us and those that are online that are watching. Um, it's good to have everyone here together in God's presence and the presence of one another. <laughs> we are uh, continuing in our series, uh, Enough. And when a pastor writes a series and, and is working on it several months ago, you have ideas. And then as you go through it, um, sometimes the Holy Spirit kind of changes what the focus is and how it speaks to you. And, it, and this has really spoken to me in this climate that we're in um, today in our culture, in the church community uh, as a whole, um, just the, these changing times that we're in. Um, there's a lot to that, but um, you'll see a little bit today in the sermon that um, I shared with you that these miracles and these healings and these cleansings that we had, that we focused on this far, uh, you see a common denominator, and that's this desperation, this passion to get near Jesus, to touch his cloak, to, to just be well, to be cleansed, to be healed. And that's spoken to me because one of the things universally in our country, in our churches, maybe in our church, I don't know, but just as a whole, as a Christian, and, and I'm in contact with a lot of Christian communities through friends, through uh, people up north, through ch other churches and pastors down here, um, I'm not, I think there's this lack of passion. Like we sing uh, the power to break every chain, and we sing that powerfully, and, and we have a little emotion in that song. But as I was sitting there and reflecting on all the thoughts that I've had and what I, that represented in what I just said, I'm thinking, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that he has the power to break every chain? Because it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like we truly believe that. So, as, and it's only when oftentimes we're pushed to that point of I've had enough, do we gain that passion? Or even the hope or desire. Maybe he does have the power to break every chain. Maybe he does. I'm going to take the chance. And oftentimes, it is that pushing us to that point that, that it takes. I've been, uh, I've worked Kairos Ministries. I've shared some of those stories before. Um, and I've heard people, and one of the very first things that I did as a Christian in my early 20s was uh, my mother-in-law recruited me to work a Kairos ministry. Talk about overwhelming to a new Christian. And I heard, I heard prisoners in there that were at my table uh, that said, I think God, and, and this was a, the gentleman I'm thinking of, I heard it several times, I think God that I'm, I came to prison. And he, he was in prison for life. I thank God because if I was out there, I would be dead. I would have never come to the truth. I would have never come to the power of God to change my life. And I thank God that I'm in here. I don't want to be in here. And you know what I thought? No, he doesn't. 
No, he doesn't. Nobody would want that. Nobody would want to be in prison his whole life. But you know why I thought that? Because I didn't understand. I was new. I didn't realize that the power to change a life, to transform a heart, to, to be in the kingdom of God for eternity would, would make being in prison for life nothing but a flash in a pan. Now I understand. He meant that with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul. He said, I'm freer in here than I ever was or would be out there. But see, that's another level of passion, of desire. And we never wish, wish pain or suffering on anybody, but man, I just, I have this, my heart is just kind of dry and empty and I just want to pray that I don't care if, if, if God has to break you down, if you get to that point where you have desperation, that you say enough is enough. He does have the power to break every chain. Whatever it takes to get you to that point of enough is enough. That you, because once you get that point, you will receive the healing. You will receive cleansing. Not the stuff that the world offers. Not the stuff that makes you feel better about yourself. But the thing that brings you real peace. So as we go through this, I want you to, um, we're, we're going to do a little Bible study uh, as far as showing you that these miracles um, are to, to help illustrate a greater point in the context of Scripture and the biblical narrative. But I also want, to hear, I want you to hear the, the desperation, the passion, the belief that Jesus does have the power to break every chain, the power to cleanse, the power to heal, the power to transform, so that we just won't walk through this life like zombies, doing the same old stuff, struggling the same old struggles, getting the same old measly happiness and contentment out of the world. All right, enough, I'm, I'm rambling. <laughs> Okay, so our scripture comes today out of the Gospel of Mark, um, beginning in verse 46 out of chapter 10. Listen for the word of the Lord. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with the large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called him and the blind man, uh, so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, you're, man, he's calling you. My eyes are going. Um, throwing the cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want, you, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. 
Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he said, his sight, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus and followed Jesus along the road. Lord, I want to see too. <laughs> Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth that we would each receive what you have for us here today. Amen. So, we have to look at the greater context here. This story is about a man that wants to see, and that's not by accident. You know, the Bible, God ordered his Bible to, in a very um, specific, intentional way. And so he, this is about a man who wants to see, but if we go back to the beginning of chapter 10, we see there's a theme over and over that leads up to this miracle. And so what is happening in, at this time, Jesus is on his way to the Passover with his disciples. He's in what was the custom then that oftentimes rabbis taught as they walked, as they journeyed. They used that as a teaching moments. And so we can kind of see that's going on because he hits a bunch of topics and it says he continued on his journey. He continued on his journey. And we know uh, because of what comes next in the book of Mark that he's headed toward Passover, not just in Mark's gospel, but the others that this story is in. And so this is what we're having. We're having a, cl a walking classroom as they journey, as they pilgrimage to Passover. And he hits a bunch of different things. He talk, first talks about uh, marriage as the Pharisees come and um, want to ask him about divorce. And he, 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 set, he kind of sets them straight about marriage. And they're, they're talking about Leviticus and what it says about divorce. And Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning. He says, you don't understand. You don't see. This is at the foundation of creation. It's in, in the very beginning that God established this covenant. So they don't understand. And, and then he talks about adultery. And, and that section is two full sermons in themselves about marriage and adultery. But again, he says, it's at the root. It's at the spirit of these things. You're worried about the surface, the law. He goes, I'm going to take it deeper. You don't understand it. And again, that's too complicated for me to get into now, but, or too in-depth, I should say. It's not complicated. Um, and then he goes on, talks about adult, adultery and divorce, and he clarifies some things for them at the spirit of it. And then it moves into the next where people are bringing little children and his disciples rebuke them. Don't bring, though, don't, don't bother Jesus with the kids. Right? Now, that sounds funny to us, but they, they were just kind of following their, their traditions. Keep them away. And Jesus rebuked them and said, no, let the little children come to me. You don't see. You don't understand. It's, you have to have a childlike faith. If you want to come to the kingdom of God, if you want to come to me, kids tend to be a little more pure, a little more trusting. And Jesus says, you got to be like that. 
You got to come be like that in order to come to me. And so he rebukes them and and tries to help them see, tries to help them understand what it's about. And so the teaching continues as they journey on, and he begins to tell a story about a rich young ruler. A rich young ruler who does not understand or see the things of God or know who Jesus really is. And he goes, Rabbi, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And he tells them the typical answer. He tells them what he wanted him to say. All right, I've done all of these things. I followed your rules. I've done all of these things. And so it was almost in his mind a rhetorical question. But Jesus says, you must sell all that you have. Because he knew that was the one thing that was important to him. That was his idol. That was what was, he worshipped more than God. He said, you got to get rid of what you are worshipping. What's more important to you than, than God. That was his idol. And we are faced with idols all the time. There are so many things that that pull our attention, our devotion, our love away from God and our relationship with God. I guarantee you if we took a poll of uh, many people, and I will say church people, if you really ask where do you spend your time, where do you spend your money, uh, what do you think about, God would be way down on that list because we have those idols too. And Jesus is te- using this as a teaching more and says, you don't see, you don't understand. Nothing's more important than your relationship with God. And so again, these are all sermons in of themselves. I'm just trying to show you a theme, a recurring theme here. And so He goes on to tell them the first must be last and the last must be first. So in other other words, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, go back to the, or go to the gospel of John. He says, you must be a servant to all. It's It's not a hierarchy where you lord it over people. It's where you are the servant. It's called servant leadership. Jesus illustrates this when he gets down and he washes his, the disciples' feet. One of the lowliest things you could do in those times. And he washes his disciples' feet and says, now that I've done this for you, you need to do this for others. And so he's, see, in the world, you want to be first. You want to be on top. You want to be on the top of the hierarchy. He said, that's not so. You don't see. You don't understand. And then he goes on and he begins, they says they continue on their way and, he, and they're astonished at all these teachings that's probably swimming in their head. And he says, we're going to Jerusalem and they know they're going to Jerusalem. They're going to the Passover festival. But what they think's going to happen and what's actually going to happen are two different things. They think he's going to be coming riding in on a white stallion to take over and become the king and they're going to be in control. He goes, you know, you don't see. You don't understand. This, that is not what's going to happen. 
let me tell you what's going to happen. And he goes on to tell him that he's going to be delivered over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn me to death and they will hand over to the Gentiles who will mock, spit, and flog and kill Jesus. And three days later, he'll rise. Now understand, we have hindsight. So of course that's what's going to happen. They're like, what? That can't happen. And we see what what they say afterwards. And they talk about how, well, earlier they talked about how they, we followed you all of our life. You know, they have put, made an investment in Jesus for their future. And so this would be terrible if that happened. Because they don't understand. You remember uh, Peter, when that, Jesus explains that in another gospel, Peter says, I will never let that happen. Peter was bold. Peter had courage. But he didn't see. He didn't understand. Jesus says, you're thinking in the things of the world. You're not thinking with the things of God because you don't see, you don't understand. And so after he tells them, I love this part, after he tells them that he's going to go be crucified, dead, and, and be raised on the third day, he tells them all this horrible stuff that's going to happen. James and John are sitting there going, Oh, yeah, okay, okay, oh, yeah, you're doing that. Okay, so when you take over, who's going to be on your right and left? Who's going to be second in command? Because we would love that position. Obviously, they don't see and they don't understand. Even though he just told them. They're so single-minded on power and position that they're trying to manipulate, trying to get in on the ground floor, get, a, get ahead of the other disciples. And when the other disciples hear this, they're indignant. Not because they didn't see or understand what Jesus was telling them, but because they didn't think of it first. So we see this theme over and over again of not being able to see not understanding who Jesus was, or the things of the kingdom of God. And then we get to the end of this little journey before they head off, before they come into Jerusalem. And there's this story about this man who can't see physically. And he is desperate and he was passionate for Jesus and what he could do for him. So much so that one of the things you didn't do is interrupt teaching and he didn't care. He interrupted. He said, Jesus, he calls out to him and his disciples, again, not seeing, not understanding, rebuke him. Say, shut up. We're talking about God stuff, right? Right? We got to be careful. Sometimes we get so religious and so caught up in our God stuff, we forget that it's about other people. 
But Jesus can be interrupted. He's, he's always willing to be interrupted for the sake of someone else. And so he says, I want to see. I imagine in my head, I see her, Jesus saying, and I want everybody else to see. Where Jesus heals one uh, story about the blind man, it it's not, doesn't happen in one, all of a sudden. It happens in phases. He starts to see uh, people fuzzy like trees. And then he gains his sight clearly. And so when we see this miracle, we understand that it's to illustrate the point about, yes, Jesus can heal the blind so that they can see physically, but he's also come that we might open the eyes of our soul to know who God is and to know the nature of God. And as I read this, this is what convicted me about there's so many people nowadays that can't see, that don't want to see that don't try to see. And that's frustrating for me as a man that wasn't a Christian and then became a Christian and pursued it in spite of sins and uh, step backs and mistakes, and, but never quit and just Continue to reap the blessings and, and understand. We're reading through the Bible in 120 days. Um, I'm, I'm having revelations like it's the first time I've done it. That's the magic of God's word, the depth of God's word. We're never going to get to the deepest parts of God's word, God's word on our own ability in this lifetime, but we can always go deeper and deeper. See, there was three people, or three categories in all of these miracles. There's the world, and that's just, sometimes we forget. We think that uh, the whole world was Israelites and Gentiles, or, well, it was the Gentiles, but uh, whether it be the Egyptians or the Romans, it was just this little world. But there was the whole world that wasn't paying attention to any of this, didn't care, didn't try to care, didn't see. But then there's another category we read about, and we've seen it in all of our miracle stories that we've looked at in this series, and that is the crowds. The crowds are the ones that, man, I think I heard about this guy. I think he's the new in thing. So I want to kind of get close to them, and, but I don't want to get too crazy about this. And so, so they, they're just the crowds that are kind of just there in the peripheral, um, kind of seeing what happens. And then you have the disciples who, and at this point in the gospel, at this point in the story, are are kind of fumbling and bumbling and they don't really understand. They're trying to understand, but as we saw in our broader context, they don't understand because they haven't experienced the resurrected Christ. They haven't received the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we can read this and go, man, that must be frustrating for Jesus because they just don't understand. They just don't see. Well, as I've said several times at different stories, they had an excuse because it hasn't unfolded yet. 
They hadn't seen it firsthand. They hadn't experienced the resurrected Jesus firsthand. They haven't received the power of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said is going to open the things of God to you. They hadn't done any of that. So of course, they're not going to see clearly. But what about us? We know. We're told. And yet we continue to not see. And the only reason we don't see or we struggle or we misunderstand is because we don't want to see. Jesus says, let them that, that, that will, let them see. Open their eyes. And seeing, but you don't understand. So we can see Jesus, we can acknowledge who Jesus is, but that doesn't mean that we're open. You know, churches and pastors um, will say, this is what you do for discipleship. You got to be in your word. You got to do this. You got to do, and you've heard me say this, but it's over and over and over. It happens all the time. And people come to you and they're having some kind of struggle in their life, some kind of struggle in their marriage, or just not, just not realizing the blessings that, oh, I read about all these blessings, but I'm not experiencing them. And they just go through this life um, and receive I mean, it's just kind of walking, like I said, walking zombies, doing the same thing, doing the same mistakes, uh, not receiving all the blessings and joy that this life is supposed to give you because we aren't desperate enough. It, it's just enough to loss to sleep. Remember the show, The Matrix, right, where they're just... They're all in the matrix and they're just going through the motions, but they're not really living life. It's not a real life. There's so many people nowadays, church people included, that are in the matrix, that are just going through the motions, liking what they're supposed to like, seeking what they're supposed to seek, never re re receiving true blessing never living true life because they don't see it. And I think that's what they call, you know, one of the great revivals in history was called the Great Awakening because people were waking up and seeing who Jesus really was and seeing that he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. But, but just being lukewarm I was talking to my guys group the other day and I said this here, if, you're just, if you are just going to church on Sunday morning, that's better than nothing. But is that why Jesus died? So we could have a life of better than nothing. That would not make a good bumper sticker. Gosh, I want, I want so much for people to want something better than nothing. That's not why Jesus died. He died to redeem you, to, to uh, recreate you, to give you the blessings of life, but he's not going to force it upon us. And if it takes some kind of hardship in your life, because oftentimes that's what happens it takes, uh, 
what wakes us up from the matrix. And I, God doesn't want this, and I never pray this for anyone, but it's just the truth of human nature and reality. How, how we often get woke up from the matrix of this world is by some crisis or some tragedy where we realize, oh my gosh, the life I'm living, it's really not that important. And I'm not paying attention to what is important. Case in point, what is today? September 11th. How divided are we as a country? Remember after September 11th? People were awakened from the matrix for a little while. Churches were full. They realized maybe all my idols aren't going to do a lot for me when things get really rough in this world. Churches were full. Our country was united. All the stupid stuff, all the, the, the little things that divide us and we fight over, all of that separated. And as awful as September 11th was, what came out of that, the light that came out of that deep darkness was so hopeful. I mean, it's a it, current event. I mean, just, just the ma- one little thing, and this goes in with a current event, current, new, current news, um, Queen Elizabeth died. And one of the things that you probably heard as people remember is one extraordinary thing that broke hundreds of years of tradition is that she had, uh, I don't know all the, she had their band, their official band, play the Star Spangled Banner in a place, in a, in a time that they never played anything else, right? Something extraordinarily kind came out of that. That's our nature. And so I'd never wish anything, but whatever wakes you up from the matrix will be worth it. Because Jesus came that we might be cleansed, that we might be healed, that we might have our eyes open to what this world really is and to who Jesus really is and the blessings and the sanctification that he offers. You know, through Jesus Christ, we are justified. We are justified, which means we're saved from our sin. We're redeemed and cleansed for heaven. But I got news. This is, this is the part that makes us Wesleyan. This is the part that, that Wesleyan contributed because a lot, of, a lot of church and theology say, okay, once you're justified, you're done. That's not true. Because Jesus also died that we might be justified. That just reconnects us to God. Then he wants to sanctify us. He wants to transform us. But he can't do that if we don't care about it. So there's people in churches that have been transformed, that live transformed lives, that fight the fight every day and understand the blessings of God being poured out on them. And there's other people just sitting there that can't see and have no clue what's going on. 
The question for us is, which one are you? Which one do you want to be? God's not going to force anything on you. You have to have that passion, that deep desire that makes you interrupt, that makes you chase after Jesus in crowds, that I will do anything to get in the presence of Jesus and to stay there. Which one are you? Which one do you want to be? You want to just be one of the many in the world or just one of the many in the crowd? Or do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to be the blind man saying, crying out from the depths of your soul, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus will give you whatever you want. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. And Lord, just ask that I pray for a fire and all those that seek you, and all those that, Lord, have been thinking about it, been struggling with it, that you would tear down those walls, that you would awaken people from the matrix of this world, that they might see you clearly, that they might understand what you're offering, the magnitude and the glory of what you bring. Nothing in this world can compare to and so, Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart that we might see clearly. It's in Jesus' name, amen.